0: welcome to advance your art if you are interested in making money from your art using your artistic background to your advantage when switching careers or if you're just plain stuck you've come to the right place now let's get started and have some fun with your host yuri cataldo
1: hello and welcome to another episode of advance your art with yuri cataldo if you're interested in learning how to build a company make money from your art, or if you're just feeling stuck about what to do next, you've come to the right place. Every week, I sit down with a creative entrepreneur to discuss the who, why, what, and why of their journey. If you like this episode, please remember to like, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Today, I'm sitting down with Arthi Ramamurthy, co-host of The Good Time Show and tech executive. And I apologize if I botched your last name, Arthi. But Arthi, welcome (laughs) to the show. How are you?
0: I am doing really well. Yuri, thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, you talk to a lot of creative people, uh, people who've actually done something really meaningful with their lives on the creative side. And, you know, it's, it's such an honor to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: Of course, it's an absolute pleasure to have you. Um, so I know I gave, again, a, a quick little blurb about you, but how do you describe yourself and what you do?
0: Uh, right now, I think what you said was... Is pretty spot on. I'm the co-host of The Good Time Show. Uh, We've been doing this. We started this on Clubhouse about a couple of years ago. And then we recently moved it on YouTube because we really wanted the video aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's been about 10-ish episodes on YouTube. So this is what I do more or less full-time now. Um, But my background, you know, I have no business being a creator. Um, I come from the technology world. I'm a tech nerd in every sense of the word. Uh, which is why um, you know it's 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 kind of awesome to be here because I've kind of finally made it to the cool side, um, <laughs> um, uh, and so yeah, the way to describe me would just be a tech person who's now being a creator. Okay,
1: excellent. Well, all are welcome on the creative side, and we're happy to <laughs> happy to have you cross over um, with us. So, so let's start before we go into the good time show. I do want to hear a little bit of, more about your background and your journey. So what initially made you want to get into the the tech industry and what did you study in school?
0: Well, okay um this is a it's gonna this story is gonna have many twists and turns I but like it, it will all make sense. okay, I promise you um <laughs> I started writing code when I was maybe 12, 13. My dad got a big clunky Windows PC um it was really meant for him, but I kind of like took it away from him and started writing code on it, like basic programming, Uh, started working on it, uh, really fell in love with computers. Uh, At that time, nobody I knew was actually like writing code or doing anything fun with it. Um, And then, you know, this was pre-internet in my household in India. So I grew up in South India. Um, And then uh, I just happened to be at the right place at the right time. You know, a lot of people, especially in tech, they'd be, they would talk about themselves as if like they knew what they were going to do. I didn't, I didn't have a plan. All I knew was I love technology, I love Mm -hmm. computers. And it turns out that uh, the year I graduated was a really good time to graduate in technology. Um, Because if it had been five years earlier, it would have been like, you know, the dot-com boom bust, that side of things. And then later would have been like the 2008 recession and all of that. So I just picked this narrow window to graduate, which turned out, and I just happened to be lucky. So I have a master's in computer science um, and graduated. And a year before I graduated, Microsoft spotted me. I was teaching kids how to write code, basically going from colleges to colleges in these rickety buses all across South India, uh, teaching kids how to write code. Mm-hmm. And uh, Microsoft kind of saw that and basically sponsored uh, my talks with textbooks and stuff like that. And so uh, they were like, well, "Are you sure you don't want to come work here?" I'm like, "Sure, that would be awesome." <laughs> and I'd never, you know, been on an airplane, and they flew me over to do this interview. Um, really fancy offices, and I, you know, this is like my dream. And I was like, "Well, I'm never going to get a job here, but it'll be kind of nice to like make a trip to the Microsoft HQ in India and like go see it." Mm-hmm. Did that. Got an offer, turns out that they wanted me to start a year before I graduated from college and somehow my college and Microsoft made it happen. So I worked at Microsoft for almost six years, worked on, uh, uh, you know, Xbox, worked on developer systems, worked on like loaders, binders, compilers, like low level, very unsexy stuff. Um, Xbox is the coolest thing that I've built on in Microsoft. So when I talk to normal people who are like not techies, I'd be like, mm-hmm. Xbox, I worked on that. And they'd be like, ah, I get it. Okay. Are you a gamer? I'm like, eh, well, no. Like, oh, okay. Sounds good. Yeah. Um. So this is, I worked for a year in India. I moved to Seattle. Uh, that's where the Microsoft mothership is. You know, the headquarters is in Redmond. Worked there for a while. My husband and I—we've always wanted to, you know, build a company, build startups. I've always had that itch. And at that time, everybody said, "Well, to in order to start your own startup, uh, you have to be in Silicon Valley." And so I moved over to Silicon Valley. Didn't know anybody here. Uh, joined Netflix, and I was one of the first few PMs at product managers at Netflix to go build the Netflix software that goes into TVs and set-top boxes mm-hmm. and Blu-ray players. Mm-hmm. Um. And so, you know, my claim to fame at that time was uh, I worked on the team that built the red Netflix button in remote controls. Now it's like taken for granted, but that's one of the earliest things that we'd worked on. So pretty cool in retrospect, um, did that for a while, then started two companies uh, right after. So one was this Apparel Intimate Apparel meets machine learning. So I wrote mm-hmm. the code for fitting women online. We ended up selling it many years later, pretty good exit then the second company i started was called lumoid which is a try before you buy service for gadgets um and we had a deal with best buy ended up basically building out the company until 2017 or so and then winding it down learned a ton of lessons on like starting your own company um solo founder scaling this up from like zero to you know 40 50 employees fundraising uh you know partnerships with this big business uh know, how do you scale? How do you find the first hundred customers, first thousand customers? Um, How do you actually get it to profitability? Mm -hmm. And a lot of this, you know, at that time, at least, I went through a lot of these, I went through Y Combinator, which is, you know, Silicon Valley's like biggest incubator um, and accelerator program, which is really helpful. But I was kind of lonely just building this whole thing by myself. Um, and learned a whole lot. So, I mean, I know I, and today, like these days, I meet a lot of founders who are in that spot where they're not sure whether they have to go, they want to go start something or if they have started something, how to scale it, how to hire their first set of people. So I try and pay it forward as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, worked at my worked at Facebook Meta for about four years uh, from 2017 onwards, went through everything from, you know, post-Trump, Cambridge Analytica, like all of that stuff, worked on payments and creator monetization. That's really where the itch about like working on creator ecosystems kind of really, you know, grabbed my attention. Mm-hmm. Um, worked on like tipping and subscription programs and just helping creators make meaningful income. Uh, and then worked on Facebook groups. Um, and right around 2020, peak of the pandemic, like in December 2020 my husband and I started this show called The Good Times Show. Um, and, and we really started, like the name of the show was even like very goofy. It was right. It was after the the movie, Good Times, you know, the Safke brothers movie. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, it, wouldn't it be kind of fun to like do the show where we like basically help people, uh, help founders fundraise or hire their first set of employees or scale, just like yeah. advice kind of things. And it kind of blew up because uh, we invited a few founders we knew. We invited Elon Musk, and he showed up, and that really blew up the whole show. Then we had Mark Zuckerberg, who at that time I was who, who I was working for, and he came on the show to talk about AR and VR, and that really blew up. Then we had like Brian Armstrong uh, from Coinbase. We had all these big founders, and then it soon branched out from just tech into you know chain smokers came on, and Calvin Harris came on, and. Virgil Abloh came on and Naomi Osaka was there. And we were like, why are these people coming on our show? We have no idea what to like actually ask them. We we can pretend to sound intelligent, but we are really not in this business. But it was really fun to go learn from all these people because we realized at the end of the day that all creators and these big super achievers, professionals, they all have a very similar kind of arc about motivation, and what Mm -hmm. gets them to be successful. And it was really interesting for me to go learn that through the lens of the show. Um, And so we've been doing the Good Time Show for a couple of years. Uh, I ended up joining Clubhouse, where the show actually started to help them figure out international expansion. I left in June to go work on the show itself full time. And really, that's my story. I knew I told you this was going to be lots of bumps and twists and turns. But here we are.
1: Yeah, it is. And thank you. So the bumps and twists and terms are the best kinds of stories. Uh, so th- thank you so much on those. Okay, so a couple of follow-up questions. So first, so you've gone from say tech company to, to, to tech company, so from Microsoft to Netflix and then eventually to Facebook and then Clubhouse. Yeah. At, at what point do you decide that you want to, that you've done what you've wanted to accomplish at a, at a current job moved on to the next one? And then how do you decide which right now, let's just take it to the job part, but which job to go to next? How do you do you have a process for that or, or how did those types of moves happen?
0: Wow. Uh, deep question. You know, <laughs> early on in my career, I was not strategic. Uh, I was very impulsive. Um, I was like, well, you know, uh, I think I saw some like Steve Jobs quote where he was like, you keep looking at the mirror every day and you're like, if you're not having fun, you should stop doing it. Um, I, uh, you know, at some point it'll be like, I really got bored of the project that I was working on, or I didn't quite see a career progression. I didn't really get along with some manager or some specific peer or something. And I was like, well, you know, I really don't want to do this. So that was like early on in my career. Um, yeah. it somehow just worked itself out, but I would not recommend that for most people where you know, don't be impulsive, be more strategic. Like you don't have to be like strategic, like a super villain, but you need to at least like understand, you know, where does the next year look like from a career progression standpoint for you? And I was not as uh, thoughtful about it. But I think as my career progressed, um, I started looking at like, what did I want out of this? uh, And what can I offer to this company? And I started seeing this as like a relationship that I had with this entity. Um, And so it was always this process of like, I'm going to learn A, B, and C. Um, Oh, I'm working for this person. This person's clearly achieved all of these things and I'm going to learn how to go do that. And for this company, I feel like I bring the best in this particular area and uh, kind of saw this as like a two-sided relationship. Um, And that worked out much better for me. So uh, when that stopped or it started like degrading, I would realize Mm -hmm. like, well, it's time for me to go learn something new, Or I think this company is like, I feel like I'm not really giving back enough to this company and I have to go kind of thing. And I think it's just, it's helpful to have that mindset of like, not always being selfish, but also like trying to give back Mm -hmm. and trying to see what you can do for the business as well, because it's tough to go build a business. I've been a startup founder. If I hired a person onto the company, you want to make sure that they're being rewarded, but also like they're... They are rewarding the system as well, um, and so you know that's kind of the decision making process, and it changes. It really, honestly changes, and I try to iterate on it pretty much every year.
1: Yeah. Okay. So you so you did bring up actually a point for my next question, and that's about your startups. And so yeah. I know for many people, and I guess this this maybe was your case as well. So you have a a corporate job, and in the tech industry, it, they pay better. And they are more, yeah. let's say, stable. And you go from that to starting again startups, um, particularly your first one. And you know the startup world very volatile. Stability is not a thing whatsoever in the startup space. So, what were you thinking? what did it feel like? And what were you? What made you suddenly decide to say, "I'm going to go from this stable career that I have and jump and and go into this new why area this? that may or may not work"? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why that? And what <laughs> were you feeling at that time?
0: why this death wish like why why do you have to like sabotage your own career to do this <laughs> no uh, i'm kidding um i've always always wanted to build a startup and mm-hmm. it's it's a, it's hard to explain it's i felt like um i just had to give it a shot i just had it in me to try it and if i didn't at least try and take a risk early on in my career i would always always regret it and so like the calculus at that time was it's okay if i fail it would really suck if I failed, but it's okay if I fail because I'm still young. Um, You know, I have no obligations as such. I wasn't married and I didn't have kids and all of that. So it didn't feel like this was like a huge bet mm. uh, where I could not recover from if things really didn't go well. So um, very tactically, that was the calculus there. But uh, outside of that, you know, I think for my husband and I, one of our first date movies was uh, Pirates of Silicon Valley which Mm -hmm. is this really darky movie. Most people have not heard about it, but it's like the life and story of Steve Jobs, fictionalized. um, And the opening scene basically starts out with Steve Jobs basically saying, um, you know, you really want to, if you had a chance to go make a dent in the universe, why wouldn't you take upon the opportunity or something of that sort? And at that time, you know, we were like young, naive, really selfish, you know, really foolish. And we looked at it and went, yeah, like, why wouldn't you make a dent in the universe, we have to go do this. And so you know, it's it's always been this very cliched kind of idealistic viewpoint of like, I can do this better, I need to give this a shot, I can try building this thing myself. And, you know, a decade later, I'm really glad I did. Um, I've learned a whole lot just building these companies, building startups that I would have never learned otherwise. Um, I've made some great relationships, mentors, friendships, um, uh, and I now help tens of startups pretty much every month mm-hmm. to figure that journey out for the founders themselves. And it's just incredibly rewarding. Like I've somehow like just hit this particular part of uh, my journey very early on, which I'm really grateful for. And I just learned a whole lot really quickly.
1: Yeah. So I want to talk now about the the good time show, but before we go into that, I kind of want you to con contrast and compare it. So, because basically, the good time show is in a way similar to another startup. It is a creative endeavor that you're starting from scratch.
0: It is. Yeah. Could
1: you compare and contrast how you were thinking about starting the good time show versus your first startup? What were some of the lessons you learned that you then implemented for the good time show to, let's say, help your help yourself out early on?
0: Yeah. Oh, good question. So for Lumoid, uh, which is a startup that I co-founded, um, it was very thoughtful. Oh, we wanted to go build a company. This is where we wanted to set up an office space. This is what like number of tests we have to go to Ikea and go buy. Mm-hmm. Uh, startup accelerator to be a part of how much should we fundraise? What Which investors would we talk to? It was very, very thought out in the sense of like, I knew what the next few days would look like at any given point, but the good time show, it was very goofy. It was very tongue in cheek. Wouldn't it be nice? And, you know, totally, honestly, the reason why the good time show started was peak pandemic. My husband and I, we're just not meeting anyone in person. We live in San Francisco. Our world is all tech people, tech nerds. And we'd stop meeting them, you know, we'd like invite people over to our house for these dinners mm-hmm. and just talk technology. Like, what are you building? What are you working on? Which What things are you writing code about? And, you know, we just stopped having those and it was kind of depressing uh, just going into Christmas. And, you know, usually we'd go to India and visit our parents every year around that time. And that year, because of the pandemic, we didn't travel. And so we were just sitting at home, uh, twiddling our thumbs, looking around going, we should do this virtual dinner thing on Clubhouse. That would be so fun. So we kind of started this as like a tongue-in-cheek exercise on like, wouldn't it be nice if... um, Never thought about it as a company or a startup. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, it's it's really taken us like over a year to start taking it a bit more seriously. uh, Because a lot of it was like, I wonder why they're coming to our show. Like, do they not find other people to go talk to? Um, and then like there are some of these guests who Sri knew a lot about and I didn't. And so I had to like literally look them up on Wikipedia mm-hmm. and like learn about them and vice versa. And it was just like these people, they come to our shows and we, we need to like pretend to be semi-knowledgeable about their space. And so we ended up learning a whole lot. And, you know, the guests would always be like, how did you know so much? And we were like, we just spent the last 48 hours just cramming everything we can about you. (laughs) And we knew everything about them by then. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, a lot of it was basically not much thought went into it very early on. But now um, I'm taking it very seriously, almost like a startup Mm -hmm. where we look at, I look at, I'm a metrics person, I'm very left brain. So I look at dashboards and analytics every day. The first thing when I wake up, um, I look at, you know, where where do our subscribers come from? What videos are they watching? What comments are they leaving? I respond to every one of them. Uh, we look at everything as different functions. And I'm sure you do too, from like guest booking, um, you know, show production, post production, editing, um, you know, clips, shards, all of that stuff. Um, audio quality, everything. Like, so I'm treating every one of these aspects seriously and trying to scale this as like an actual uh kind of a media startup, so to speak.
1: Yeah, okay. So you you mentioned a little bit ago when you were first talking about The Good Time Show, but just about some, let's say patterns that you were noticing from creatives who have made it. Could you talk a little bit more about in all of the, let's say the creatives and just put them in a big umbrella? What are some of the commonalities that they mention that they think are the keys to their success?
0: Um, Some of this might be a little controversial, but this is kind of what I, you know, I figured or just deduced from like talking to them. Mm -hmm. A lot of these famous people, quote unquote famous people who are basically experts, professionals in what they do, they started very young. Uh, you know, they found what their passion was very early on, and you look mm-hmm. at somebody like a Naomi Osaka who started playing tennis very early on, uh, to Calvin Harris who started like performing very early on. Uh, so they all had that like kind of strong inclination of what they wanted to do super young. Either they did, or their parents kind of noticed that and they started getting them in. That was mm-hmm. one. Okay. Two, they spend an insane amount of time, insane amount of time every day towards it and uh it's if it's sports then it's like workouts training you know naomi talked about like a specific like backstroke that she would practice over and over and over and over again for hours on end so they just spend an insane amount of time just working on that and just perfecting the craft um which i thought was like really interesting across all across all of them um they uh pay close, atten- the, the attention to detail is just insane. Like they spot very small things. Um, Like Virgil Abloh talked about specific designs, his fashion sense, Uh, like what he saw in the other designers and why that was like really good. Like they have a really healthy sense of why their competitors work and what makes them really tick. And they can like break it down in a very unemotional way. Um and uh, and just look at it from a, from a competitive standpoint, which I thought was like very interesting. Um, and and just this like process of never, always always learning, always, never giving up very gritty, very persistent, uh, just really common across the board, where in spite of this crazy obstacles in their way, they will and this sounds all cliched. Uh, and you know, you'd be like, well, of course they're like that. Like, it's very easy to say that in retrospect, mm-hmm. but you know, when somebody, when one of them was like seven or eight or five, it's really hard to be like, this kid is going to be super gritty. Uh, you just can't like spot that. Right. And they're just like constantly never, ever giving up, like, or just pick at it over and over again and just like make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, and also when we ask them questions. Like, you know, most people, most famous people, you'd ask them like usual celebrity questions and they would just like go through the motions of it, but you'd ask them something about their sport or something about what they do, some like very detailed question. Like Mm -hmm. we asked a question about A.R. Rahman, who's like, you know, his Oscar winning music director. And we asked him about, you know, what about like uh, AI or or what about like spirituality and music or something of that sort. And they just light up. They love talking about that. Like they, it's just like, suddenly it's like a different person. Usually it's like the, oh my God, I'm doing this whole like podcast thing. And they like start getting into this like rote answers. And then you start asking them a specific question and they just like really get chippy and very excited. And they start like bantering and they start explaining to you the details of like their profession. And you have no idea, right? You're just like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. You're just like listening to them and mm-hmm. they really get into it. So I, I think it's like the the love for their craft really shows. Those are some of the things that I've seen. But the thing that's always controversial when I tell people is like they start early. Mm-hmm. And and uh, that doesn't mean, you know, the converse is not always true. It's not that, you know, you can't ever pick something up like much later in your life. I think Reed Hastings started Netflix and he was, he was mid-40s, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, converse is not always true, but what I've s- spotted is that these people always seem to start a little early in their career, in their childhood, and they spot the signs and they really like hone in on that and pick at it.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm particularly interested in your thoughts on where you're seeing the, let's say, creative economy is a big umbrella on where that's yeah. going and particularly, you know, because you've worked for a lot of creative companies like Netflix yeah. and Facebook who are leading this in other ways. And now you're having daily conversations with creatives who are using those resources and taking advantage of that. Like, where do you see everything kind of combining from both sides and where, where are you, at least where do you believe the different yeah. elements of the economy is gonna go?
0: Yeah, great question. I think at the side, risk of sounding really cliche, creative economy is winning, it is the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is already here, um, you see that the creators and the way creators work and think and interact with us, like already changing various aspects of our lives, uh, our consumption is now primarily dictated by what specific creators buy and show and choose to, you know, work with or use uh, as a part of, you know, their ad campaigns or everything of that sort. You you look at it from like influencers as creators, right? Mm-hmm. And um and looking at, instead of looking at like ads, influencers are now basically going to be the future. Or they already are. So that's like one part of it on like how do they affect what you do from a consumer standpoint? And you're already seeing that shape up. Uh, then you look at like your free time, what you choose to consume. Uh, And that is entirely driven by creators. Now you listen to podcasts and your commute, you listen, or you watch people, um, you know, interact, do interviews, all of that. Like this has basically become like how you take charge of your free time Mm -hmm. and what you choose to do with it. Um, And uh, then from a creator standpoint, you look at it as like, is this meaningful enough for me to make a living? And that's becoming more and more and more true. Um, and you're looking at it from just monetization models that didn't exist like a decade ago to now, um, all, all the way to, can I do as a as a person, as an individual, can I spend most of my time doing the things that I like doing and still make an income out of it? Mm-hmm. And we are getting there. So it's not all always there, but for some creators, that's definitely becoming true. And for many more, it's becoming more accessible now than it has ever been before. Um, And so I think creators and creator monetization, like it's going to get to a point where we no longer see creators as a special class. Mm -hmm. All of us are going to be creators in some form, uh, either to make money, to do something we love doing, to tell our story directly, to interact with the best creators or other creators to interview people and learn from them whatever may be your itch to go scratch you're going to find that you know the word creator is going to become basically normalized to a point where everybody is a creator
1: yeah i'm so i'm i'm curious in your own journey um, so a lot of the let's say creators and creatives i chat with are more on the introverted side and yeah. since you've spent a lot of time with with lots of different types of people how do you like, as someone who is now mentoring individuals, what would you say to somebody who is more introverted about taking advantage of either technology or other things to kind of get themselves out there and to help their career in either it's their own business or in in one way or another?
0: Oh my god, uh, this is speaking to me. Um, <laughs> I was horribly introverted growing up. Uh, I still consider myself to be a painful, painfully introverted person. Uh, it's taken me many many years to be able to not kind of have these mini panic attacks when I have to like talk to a bigger crowd mm-hmm. um, and so um, it, it is tough like I will give you that it's really tough for people who are and not everyone like my husband Shriram is like charming charismatic very extroverted and you could see that pathway even from early on like you know, as a child, he was like doing these speaking competitions and debates and all of that and just like really good at like facing a crowd. Mm-hmm. I was not that. I was the opposite of that. Um, I would not even be in that crowd listening to him because I just thought crowds were too much. That that was like too much extroversion for me. So mm-hmm. um, I just really introverted there. So um, the only thing I will say is it's just You just have to get over it. Uh, (laughs) And the way you can get over it is to pick a medium that you are most comfortable with. Mm -hmm. Um, I started on Clubhouse because I didn't have to do video. Mm -hmm. um, And audio alone was one thing that I could like start dealing with. And that was fine because people, like I didn't have to worry about what I needed to look like and hair and makeup and smiling all the time. And like, I didn't have to like deal with all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So for me, Clubhouse worked. Uh, the live conversation worked because I didn't have to deal with like regrets later. Like I could just be like, it's live, I'm done. And I just don't have to think about it anymore. And so these were like small little steps that I could take to deal with the introverted aspect. Uh, but then it got, it got me comfortable enough to speak up more and be really good and be more confident in front of a microphone. And then I started doing small like video interviews Um I would do like small little TV stints. And uh, and then I think uh, it just got to a point where I can now do video stuff. And I think the pandemic also helped because we are all forced to be in front of Zoom all day long. And so you have to somewhat be somewhat of a performer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and you know, like you can't kind of like shut off camera. I tried to do that early on in the pandemic and it didn't go very well. Um, and And so I think we're all like, kind of forcing, forcing ourselves to like perform better in front of video now. Mm -hmm. So I think for all the people who are introverted, I hear you. I feel you. I have bad news for you. You just have to get over it. There is like really nothing else that you can do, but pick the medium that you love. You are like more comfortable with than the rest and start there. And as you get more comfortable, you can like layer on other formats on top of it.
1: Wonderful. So, Arthi, with everything that you have done and experienced, what would you say has been the best advice you've ever received?
0: Um, the best advice I've ever received is not advice somebody gave me. It's somebody's, one of my friend's dad told her this, um, which I thought was really interesting, and it kind of motivated me. Uh, do not let anybody tell you, what you can or cannot do. Um, And it sounds really simple and cliche and weird, but I thought it was really profound because all my life um, I looked at what other people told me on what I was capable of doing or not capable of doing. And uh, I think that was just like in retrospect, I just didn't have to because I kind of knew all along what I wanted to do. I didn't have to like listen to other people. It was, I I could take that input and process it and discard as I saw it fit, but I didn't do that. So for me, this advice uh, has served me well uh, ever since I listened to it because nobody knows your own constraints better than yourself.
1: Right, wonderful. Thank you so much for for taking the time to chat with me and and for your phenomenal answers. I really appreciate it. If the listeners would like to follow your show, or contact you in any kind of way, basically find you online. Where are the best places they can go to do all of that?
0: Great. Okay. So the show is on YouTube. It is the good time show. We are also on all the podcast platforms. You'll find us there. So look for the good time show with Arati and Shriram. That's where you'll find us. Uh, you can reach me um, on Twitter. Twitter is probably the best place to reach out to me. So I'm R T R. That's A A R T H I am R, thats First name, last initial. Um, on Twitter, same on Instagram. Although Instagram, I'm a, you know I'm not very good at it with responding to DMs right away. Uh, but active on both. That's the easiest way to reach out to me.
1: Okay, wonderful. And I will put all the links in the show notes so listeners can click right through. Uh, but again, arthi thank you so much for your time. This has been absolutely phenomenal.
0: Thank you, Yuri. This was great. Uh, It's like I said, you've kind of made me somewhat cool again. So thank you for doing that. (laughs) It's such an honor to be on the show. Thanks again.
1: Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you like this episode, please remember to give us a five-star rating, like, and share with a friend. Our theme music is written and mixed by Chicago-based composer Ryan Black of Black Bones Collaborative. To listen to the full catalog of our episodes, go to advanceyourart.com. To see what I'm working on or book a time with me or buy a copy of my book, Be Left Behind, go to yuricataldo.com. Thank you so much and have a great
0: day.